Welcome back to Right on the Mark. And, you know, I've said this before. I am uh, I, I'm like Lou Gehrig. I, I consider myself uh, the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And through my hunting adventures, I've had the opportunity to meet my guest this week and then ultimately become, I mean, just close, close friends with uh, Michael Martin Murphy. Of course, I've been a huge fan of Murphy's music for many, many years. I mean, who doesn't know every word to the famous wildfire? I mean, um, he, he's just a musical legend. And then the things that he's done for the cowboy culture, um, he's in the Cowboy Hall of Fame. Um, he's He's been involved in so many things cowboy related. He was in the Lonesome Dove series on TV. He does a cowboy Christmas every year. And then Murph is a huge, huge proponent of hunting, conservation, ranching, and being a good steward of our planet. I mean, just so many things that uh, don't meet the eye with Murph. And we're going to peel back the curtain. I think you're going to really enjoy our chat with none other than musical legend Michael Martin Murphy. Stay tuned here on Right on the Mark. Right on the Mark, episode 11, part one of three, featuring Michael Martin Murphy, recorded spring of 2021, starts right now. He has hunted all across America and around the world. Rifle, pistol, shotgun, crossbow, compound, traditional. He uses them all. He's an outfitter, an award-winning outdoor television host, and founder of America's only organization fighting to protect every hunter's lifestyle. He's brash, he's bold, he's humorous, and a bit hot-headed. But when it comes to all things God, family, country, and hunting, He's Keith Mark, and he's right on the mark. Welcome to another Right on the Mark podcast. And I'll tell you, um, I'm like a kid in a candy store on my own show today because uh, my guest today, which I can't wait to bring him on here after the open, um, he's not only a personal friend of mine, but I am literally the world's largest Michael Martin Murphy fan on the planet. And the fact that I got to actually meet um, somebody that I've just so enjoyed his music and some of the things that he's done um, environmentally, um, land stewardship issues, Native American rights issues. I mean, I've just admired this guy literally my entire life. And then as I started doing my own television projects and to get the chance to meet the man, Michael Martin Murphy, uh, you know, they say, be careful when you meet uh, one of those people that you've idolized, uh, um, because they oftentimes <clears throat> underwhelm you. <laughs> exactly the opposite with Murph. I mean, he was uh, um, he's one of the greatest guys that I've ever met. And, and it, he, he as a person is he even outstraps his ability as a musician, and I honestly believe he is the number one singer-songwriter on the planet today. But before I bring Murph on, I do want to give a uh, a little personal story. So, you know, I hosted uh, McMillan River Adventures on the Outdoor Channel for, you know, 10, 11 years. My co-host for the last seven years was WWE superstar Shawn Michaels. And, um, you know, we had our own theme music that uh, my son Zach had, had written, and it was a, kind of a little bit more of a driving Ted Nugent type rock and roll. And then after I got out of that project, um, I started a new project called Great American Tales. And Great American Tales isn't a hunting show. It's a story about Great American Tales. And we've done shows where we've celebrated um, the Old West. 
We did an incredible cowboy Christmas special, which Murph played a part of it. We did a Thanksgiving movie. But I was thinking about how I wanted that show to open. And my favorite Michael Martin Murphy song is uh, Caroline in the Pines. I've always loved it. I love the music. It makes it takes me back to places that I love to be. And so I was talking to Murph one day about uh, what would it cost me? And I know royalty on things like that is expensive. What would it cost me to use the intro to Caroline in the Pines? And Murph said nothing. He absolutely gifted the the intro to Caroline in the Pines to uh, Great American Tales. So I'm sure you recognize it every time you see a Great American Tales. So um, stick around, because uh, when we come back, we're going to spend a little bit of time with the man, voice, a, a living legend. In my opinion, the greatest singer-songwriter on the planet today, and my good friend Michael Martin Murphy coming right up after this. Right on the Mark is brought to you in part by Hunter Nation. Hunter Nation defends all of our traditional American values, God, family, country, conservation, and our hunting lifestyle. Join the unified voice of the American hunter by visiting HunterNation.org today. Welcome back, and it pleases me more than I can tell you uh, that we have with us today a living legend, um, my favorite singer-songwriter, probably the best on the planet today, um, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Martin Murphy. Murph, welcome to Ride on the Mark podcast. Thank you so much, Keith. It's always great to do these shows with you and uh, always an interesting conversation. And uh, as you know, I love conversation. I, lo I love people and I love dialogue with people, people of all kinds, all colors, all religions. I, uh, I, I just love that that stuff that we share, you know, yeah, and I'm, I'm so I'm so sad these days, some days that we have such a a divided country because I think we should all be talking to each other. Well, there's no no way to solve issues if you don't talk about it, Murph, and you know that. That's right. People always say, hey, what's Murph like? I said, he's the only guy that can talk more than me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Irish. What can I do? I can tell you, I'm Irish. We have the gift of gab, you know. Yeah, well, you know, I want to talk about a number of topics with you today, Murph, but boy, I would be a miss if I didn't start um, with the music. Um, I mean, you're world renowned. Um, you know, you've had so many hits. Uh, you can't go anywhere and not be recognized because I've been many places with you and you're always recognized. Um, you, you've been uh, inducted into the Cowboy Hall of Fame. Um, I mean, you're just I mean, you're so accomplished on so many fronts, but it all started with the music. Isn't that right? It all started with music from the time I was a child, yes. How did it start for you? I mean, who got you into it, and when did you know that you were special? Well, I, that's, that's, a, that's a rhetorical question that I can't answer, because I'm not sure that I, a lot of days, still wonder if I'm special. But uh, I, got, uh, I got the message uh, when I was three years old. I was at the... Irvy Street Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. And after the service, I said, um, my mother had me kind of in, in arms. I was three years old, I was walking, but she would pick me up and carry me out sometimes. And uh, she was walking out of the 
the church and she sat me down on a piano stool for a minute to talk to one of her friends and I turned around and started playing the piano. She turned around and said, where'd you, how'd you learn that? I said, I don't know. I just, I, I bounded on these keys a little bit and then I, mom, I figured out that if I did this key and then this key and then this key, it made a tune and Wow. So I I knew right then she knew right then that I was going to be a musician. So then the choir director asked me if in a couple of weeks if I would learn this children's song. So when I was about three, I guess it's probably three and a half, I I got up in front of the Irving Street Baptist Church and sang a a little children's song called Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yep, and a wee and, little man was he. And back there in the sycamore tree. I know that. And back in that day, um, you know, it wasn't really, it wasn't something that you did in church to applaud. We didn't have applause after the music. You, You see that a lot today, but back then that was considered kind of irreverent. But the whole church house stood up and applauded because they figured this is okay for a kid. We got to let this kid know, give him some encouragement. And that did it. That did it. I was I was from then on going to be an entertainer. I was from then on going to play music. Uh, my grandfather lived in Hawaii, was the chief quartermaster of Pearl Harbor during mm-hmm. World War II. And we had lived in Hawaii. We had just come back from Hawaii at that point, uh, living with him. And uh, my grandfather was very uh, flamboyant kind of a character. Uh after he retired from the Navy, he used to buy a Cadillac uh, in San Francisco, drive it to uh, put it on a boat, take it to Hawaii, drive it around the island. He lived on Hawaii, on the Big Island of Hawaii. On, on, excuse me, on a, on Oahu all of his life, even after he retired. Then he would every Christmas he would drive that Cadillac back onto a boat take it to San Francisco and buy a new Cadillac and drive it all the way to Texas. And by the time he got there, it was always a Cadillac convertible with wire wheels on his books. He would have this big pile of presents. And as soon as we got there, all the kids in the neighborhood run and he would pass out presents. Uh, One year he brought me a little package uh, from Hawaii that had guava jelly, uh, some flowers that just especially grow in there for my mother and there was a plastic ukulele in there Uh-oh. and that, at that point I was five years old and uh, I said this is really cool how do you play it and he said well I don't know there's a little instruction book in there and he kind of winked at my mother he's he's not never going to figure it out so he went back to Hawaii I spent the whole next year trying to figure out that instruction book and I could read at the point where I, where I was five years old. I could already read. And uh, I figured it out. I figured out how to tune it. It had one of those little tuning pipes. Yeah. Nothing like these electric, Not electronic now. tuners you have. I remember just those. One of those. You blow the tuning pipe, and then you, you catch it by ear, and then you try to tune up the string to that point. Yeah. I learned how to play the ukulele. My grandfather came back the next Christmas to visit us, and I got out the ukulele and played it for him. <laughs> and... Uh, he said, all right, uh, tell you what I'm going to do. And he went down to the store, to the music store in Dallas, and he he brought me a real ukulele, not a plastic one. It was a Martin ukulele. Oh. Still got it. I still got it. 
Wow. And I played that ukulele until I was 16 years old. When I was 16 years old, my grandfather gave me a guitar. So it was my upbringing uh, in the Baptist church, but also my flamboyant grandfather who gave me my first instrument that really encouraged me to get going. So I was playing an instrument and singing by the time I was five, five and a half years old. Well, your uh, story about your grandpa and his gaudiness in the car makes me think of that old Roger Miller tune. I'm yeah. the city star. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, one, that's, one that, that's one that you should be singing. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I was a, when, I was a lone. I was a lone star from Texas. You were the Kansas City star. When uh, when did you write your first song? How old were you? Probably about six years old. I used to make up songs. I didn't know any better. I thought, well, that's a cool song. I think I'll make up my own. And so I made up songs, and I could already write and read by the time read and write by the time I was seven. I could write pretty well, and I would just make up songs and you know. Uh, and sing them to my mom and dad. And they were really very kind and saying, hey, that's, they'd never tell me it was a bad song. They'd always say it was a good song. There you go. And so I was you just, you might not have done any rap, right? So obviously you didn't right. do any rap because they are. Not, well, I even heard of rap back then, but I do remember that Hank Williams had a uh, alter ego called Luke the Drifter. <laughs> and he had, and all the Luke the Drifter albums were Hank Williams reciting stuff instead of singing and those are those are my favorite records and uh there were some spoken word things like big john and some of those songs music. so you could sort of maybe call that a little bit like rap i think that kind of rap predated the rap that came out of the ghetto and came out of the hard times of american black people Uh, but i think i think there's always a need for that I remember Walter Brennan used to do those spoken word things like Lauren uh, Green, Lauren Green, old, Lauren Green old, did, did, right. he did them. Old River, Old Rivers was my favorite one. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, what was the first song that you ever had that you wrote that got airplay on the radio? Well, when I was uh, 17 years old, I wrote a song called Freedom Bird. And uh, it was... Uh, what you would call kind of a parable about freedom. And uh, of course, right around that time, the civil rights movement was getting started and I was 100% solidly behind the civil rights movement. You know, Martin Luther King was, was one of my heroes. He was nonviolent. He was uh, strongly committed as a Christian. Uh, he, he wasn't perfect, but you know, he, he led he led a lot of people. So uh, I wrote this song called Freedom Bird. And uh, I remember the lyric was, you can take a little bird, put it in a cage, feed him every day, open the door, he'll fly away. That was the opening line. Okay. A lawyer in Dallas who uh, had gotten into the music publishing a little bit business found out about me because I played at a local coffee house. I wasn't old enough to play in a, in a bar or a saloon. I'm kind of glad that it didn't start that way because this was a place where people drank coffee and listened to songs. And uh, he found out about it, invited me down to make a demo. We sent it off to the new Christy Minstrels uh, in Randy Sparks in uh, California, and they recorded it and put it on an album. Wow. Uh, 
So that was my first album that got any airplay and got any attention. So at that point, I was hooked on man. If I could make if I could make a living as a songwriter, you know, and I was once again young and naive enough to think that I could do that. Here I am, seventy six years old, nearly, and I've made a living off off writing songs and singing all my life. I've never had any other job. Well, that's awesome. All right, stay tuned, everyone. Murph, stay where you are. We're going to come right back after this break, and we're going to talk a little bit more music before we move on. Stay tuned. Great. You can talk about music all day. Love it. This segment of Right on the Mark is brought to you by King's Camo, offering the right clothing, gear, and accessories for all your outdoor needs. Shop today at kingscamo.com. King's Camo is an original and proud supporter of Hunter Nation. Welcome back to uh, Right on the Mark podcast. And our guest today is none other than uh, singer-songwriter, Western extraordinaire, my buddy Michael Martin Murphy. Murph, we're talking about your your career and you were talking about the first uh, song you ever wrote. And obviously you've had an incredible uh, an incredible career. What was your first album that, that you recorded? My first album that, that came out as, as Michael Murphy before I changed it to Michael Martin Murphy, which is my real middle name, was just called Michael Murphy and it was the title was Geronimo's Cadillac. And I love that song. Tell tell us some of the tracks that were on that thing. Uh, Boy from the Country, which John Denver uh, recorded, was on that album. Uh, what Am I Doing Hanging Around, which the Monkees recorded. And uh, a number of other people in bluegrass recorded it. Um, let me see. I wrote all the songs. Uh, some of the songs that from a project I had written, but not recorded. I had written it for Kenny Rogers uh, called The Ballad of Calico. Some of those songs were on that first album. So the song called Calico Silver, song called A Harbor for My Soul was on there. There was a song called uh, All Along the Natchez Trace. Uh, which is a road that I often drove and hiked back in the day when I went to Nashville. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, all but one song on there, which was was a self-originated song, except for a song called Lights of the City, which came from a gospel songwriter by the name of Happy Goodman and the Happy Goodman family. Well, you mentioned... You, you mentioned John Denver, and as you know, John Denver is my all-time uh, favorite um, singer, songwriter, entertainer, uh, the late, great John Denver. I thought, you and, said, I thought you said I was. I said living. You're my favorite living singer-songwriter. <laughs> and you're okay. my second favorite of all time. I, I, and, you know, even, you know, I'm good friends with Nugent, and I'll talk to Ted about it, and I make no bones about it. I mean, you know, Don, you know I grew up on uh, John Denver and just, you know, I, I mean, he just, his music spoke to me because I'm such an outdoor, you know, country kid, you know. Um, but the, the, the I want to talk. Well, about you know, he was a he was a very close friend of mine. He was. Yeah, a, and, I talk about that. and I do want to get there, but I, I do want to talk about Boy from the Country for a second, because I love that song. I think he first recorded it on a, a live evening with John Denver album is when that first was out there. And then he re-recorded it on another album. Um, but a lot of people thought that you actually wrote that song uh, for John Denver. But in truth, you actually wrote that for somebody maybe even a little more powerful than uh, John Denver. <laughs> I just love that story, Murph. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners what really led uh, to Boy from the Country? Well, what really led to Boy from the Country 
first of all, was my grandfather. Uh, it was really my step-grandfather, not the one who gave me the ukulele and the guitar, but the one from Kentucky. And he was a mountain man and a hunter and an outdoorsman. I never saw him put a pair of horns on the wall. I never saw him do any taxidermy. This guy lived off the land. And he moved to Texas when he was 16, 17 years old to get away from uh, Harlan, Kentucky and the coal mines. And by the time he was 20, he was married to my grandmother who was 14 at the time, I think. And they lived in the country. I love to go out there. I was raised in the city, but I love to go out there. Being outdoors, being out in nature has just always been who I am. Even when I went to UCLA and lived in Los Angeles, every single weekend I drove up to uh, the Sierras or somewhere. And so that's that's just who I am. That's why you're interviewing me, I think. Yeah. And uh, so at one point, my brother who uh, went to Baylor University in Waco, Texas, or as we used to say in, in Texas, Waco University. Yeah. Uh, he gave me a book by a Catholic theologian named G.K. Chesterton. And the book was Brother, Son, Sister Moon. It was about the life of St. Francis. And, uh, and I was a Baptist, so I didn't know anything about it. Catholic saints. I thought St. Francis was a resort somewhere in France. You know what I mean? I didn't know anything. But I read that that book and just fell in love with it and uh, fell in love with the whole philosophy of St. Francis which is, you know, you don't back in those days not everybody could read. In fact most people couldn't read. So they couldn't even read the Bible. Right? Uh, So how did they become Christians if they couldn't read the Bible? Well it was all oral. And uh, St. Francis said, you know, you don't need a Bible to figure out that there's a God that loves you. All you got to do is take a walk in nature. So he wrote all these poems to nature. He went out and lived off of the land. You know, he lived off of people's charity. And, of course, he founded the Franciscan Order, which was founded on nothing to do with money. You know, we're not... This order has nothing to do with, with dollars and cents. This is about the land and nature and God's creation. So I've always been sort of felt like St. Francis was my favorite, you know, human being who was, you know, a Christian leader next to Jesus. I think he was the closest one of all of them to Jesus himself. And uh, all he could talk about was nature. And the church very much disliked this at the time. They did not like him. Uh, He was not politically correct at the time because he said, they were saying, well, wait a minute, if somebody can just go out and sit under a tree or walk around and hear the birds and conclude that there's a God, uh, doesn't that take our job away from us as priests and stuff? And and that's how they felt to it. They didn't. They didn't realize that that's not the case at all. There was no. That's not what he was saying. So, so boy, I wrote. I wrote the boy from the country because Saint Francis, when he was 15 years old, made a conscious decision to leave behind the village of Assisi, where his father was a very successful, uh, wealthy merchant. He took all of his fine clothes off and put on a sack some sandals tied a rope around his waist and walked off into the woods and his father just went ballistic you know his father just couldn't couldn't understand why he was doing this and that's when he began to go down the road that i just described 
And uh, so he intentionally became a boy from the country. And I had grown up in the city, but still couldn't wait to get out to my granddad's farm. Couldn't wait to get out of there every weekend. And in the summertime, I just go live with my granddad. So I wrote Boy from the Country because of this main reason. Every main religious leader of every religion in the world has always spent time in the wilderness to get their final vision. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He had to get out of the city and the cities weren't very big back then, but he had to get out in the desert. John the Baptist, his precursor, lived off of the wild stuff. He ate locusts he, he, and honey and was basically a hunter. And uh, he came in, he was a precursor of Jesus. Buddha sits under a tree for an un, an in, a long, long time before he gets his vision. Even Muhammad had to go out and have a vision in the desert. And he loved horses and he all that's all he wanted was to just be out there. And he didn't really enjoy being in the city. You take any world religion, there's got to be a little bit of country, a little bit of wilderness experience before they get their final vision of the earth. And uh, I think that's a very significant point. I think all city people, all urban people, finally, when they get connected to the real truth, they have to recognize that there's an earth and there's... There's a creation out there beyond the concrete. And then all you got to do is just look just beyond the concrete into the, in your local city park and see the grass growing and the birds singing to realize this is the original state of the, of the planet. So that's why I wrote Boy from the Country. And at the end of the song, I say, Boy from the Country left his home when he was young. Boy from the Country, he loves his son. Sometimes I think the boy from the country is the only one who sees because the boy from the country doesn't want to see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And, you know, Murph, uh, obviously, when I first heard that song, I, I, I felt like it was written for and about me because I loved the outdoors. Um, and I suspect there's a lot of people that live the outdoor hunting lifestyle um, that I live that have heard that song and said, man, that that sounds like me. And, you know, and although people probably suspected that you wrote that about Don, John Denver, or some people probably thought you were writing about yourself, the true boy from the country was uh, St. Francis. That's a very, very cool story. Right on the mark, invite you to like, share, and subscribe today. The views and opinions expressed on Right on the Mark are not necessarily those of our hosts, guests, or sponsors. Right on the Mark is produced at Hunter Nation Studios and is the property of Bow and Arrow Productions. Produced in conjunction with BLT Productions. Copyright 2021.